What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we've got a great show for you today. So first off, we've got an interview with a long snapper out of West Virginia, Rex Sunahara. We talked to him about what the process has been like uh, due to COVID-19 and the quarantine, and also what the process is like as a long snapper in general, getting ready for the NFL draft in the upcoming season. So great interview, not going to want to miss that. And then after that, we go through some NFL draft superlatives. We talk about some guys I think have a chance to really shine, maybe a couple potential busts. And then next week will be the full mock draft, my first first and only one that we do because we just have a habit of, of putting it out the week before. So you don't want to miss out on that. But before we get into the interview, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash podcast and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash podcast. Here you go, Rex Sunahara. We now welcome on West Virginia long snapper, Rex Sunahara. Rex, how you doing? Good, how are you, man? I'm good, I'm good. Appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast. Uh, obviously, first question... We we gotta know with this whole um, with this whole pandemic with this outbreak, it's probably shaken up your um, your draft process, your your um, next steps after college. Can you talk to me a little bit about what's been different since uh, since the stay at home order? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, I uh, I had planned to spend my entire time, you know, leading up to the draft up until you know pretty much draft weekend. Uh, at West Virginia, you know, just working out in our in our facilities and with our strength coaches, you know, they do a really really great job there. But you know, since since they had to cancel, you know, spring ball and had to cancel, you know, people using the facilities and everything like that, I was forced to come home back to to Bay Village, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. And but luckily, you know, I have I have friends here that have you know weight rooms in their garages and. You know, my brother and I have been working out in there pretty much every day and just doing our thing there and being able to, to work there and work out and just, you know, making the best with what we have. And, and it's it, it hasn't been horrible and it's it's been it's been good just just doing what we have to do. But, it, it, but you know, it, it's been, a, you know, everyone, it's not exactly what you what you think is going to happen, but it's uh we've made do what we got. Yeah, and and uh, I know you've played. You played in the NFLPA Collegiate All Star Game. You played mm-hmm. in the Hula Bowl All Star Game. So obviously you've gotten um, some exposure. But what does I mean? Like, let's say you know st- when stuff wasn't happening. You know, when there wasn't the state home home order, when you didn't have to leave. What does a, a pre draft process look like for a long snapper? So with me, you know, it was after the uh, after my season at West Virginia. I was luckily enough to sign with Logan Brown sports and, you know, with Logan Brown himself. And he does a really, really great job with people. There was a guy from West Virginia who signed with him last year. And he told me a lot about Logan and the character that he had. So I signed with him and then he, we had talked about, you know, do you want to go to, you want to go somewhere and train or do you want to, you know, stay and train somewhere where you know what you're going to get and what you're going to, you know what you're what you what to expect because you, I mean as you know the long snapper is the is the low man on the totem pole you know it's not the sexiest job it's not the it's not 
you know, a job that people want to have and it's not, you know, a job that people think is, you know, a, a, a job that people do. But, you know, talking to Logan and everything, he decided that we're, he's like, well, you know, what do you want to do? So I said, what if we just stay in West Virginia? And he said, you know, that would be great. So stayed in West Virginia, trained with our strength cap, our strength staff, uh, Mike Joseph and them do a wonderful job with, with uh, all the athletes that come through West Virginia football. They, they're the best in the business. So, you know, stayed there and I trained there before I went to the NFLPA game in the Hula Bowl. And then I went there for the two weeks and then I came back and then we were there until up until this stay at home order came. And then, you know, but if it would, if it would have been perfect, I would have stayed there until draft day training with them. You know, the nutrition, everything else is, is top notch there. And, that's where I would have been, but you know, things happen and, and we make the best of what we have. Yeah. So let's, let's kick it back a little bit. Let's talk about early on. So you mentioned you grew up in Ohio and going to high mm-hmm. school, you played three sports. You played football, basketball, and baseball. And yep. as in, in high school, you were a wide receiver and a defensive back. Um, and obviously a, a talented player in, in baseball and basketball as well. Um, did you, was football, your main sport always growing up or did it somehow transition over time? So it is funny. Cause like, so my dad always thought that I was going to play baseball and like, he was like, Oh, you know, like your baseball is, you're going to be your best sport. Yada, yada, yada. But my, so like the other side of my family, my mom's family, football has been life for going on three generations now. And it's something that is kept like, you know, just, this family's done and has been wonderful for us. My great, my great grandfather played football at Syracuse. My grandfather played football at army. My uncles played football at Youngstown state. And now I played football at, you know, at Rhode Island and now at, uh, at West Virginia. But, and it was something that, you know, we just always thought that we did, but to be honest with you, you know, basketball was my first love. I loved playing basketball. I loved everything about basketball and, you know, I wasn't the best player, but, you know, I thought I always I always worked really, really hard at it, and I tried my, you know, my hardest at it. And, you know, luckily for me, it was it was something that, you know, got me to college and got me to, you know, to Rhode Island and you know, along with football, and it was it was great. Yeah, so that, that's my main question, actually, is, um, well, obviously, uh, looking at your numbers, you know, your senior year, 16, 16 and 10, those, those, are, those are good high school numbers for sure. Um, yeah yeah um but so like i said you played wide receiver and defensive back in high school so what when did that transition happen to long snapper um and eventually why did you choose rhode island so i had been a long snapper ever since the seventh grade just doing it because i was it was something that i just picked up naturally but then i had a coach when i was a freshman that told me if you can be a good long snapper you'll play varsity football quicker than most because no one I mean when you're a high schooler no one really knows how to long snap and that was something that I really you know took to heart I was like well if I can play varsity football quicker than most people you know why wouldn't I do it and so that's that's kind of the reason why why I did that and and yeah so uh and then and then obviously um you ended your career at West Virginia but you started at Rhode Island so what was your right uh what what was the what was your initial reasoning for going to Rhode Island so Rhode Island was one of the few the few schools you know 
outside of I had a couple of D3 offers to play basketball and a couple of D2 offers to play football, but Rhode Island was the first D1 team to to come in and say, you know what, like you, you know, you played wide receiver, you played strong safety, but we want you to come and be our starting long snapper. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean? We're like, well, we want you to come long snap for us. And I said, okay. And they're like, yeah, we want you to be the long snapper when we play Syracuse the first game of the year. So I was like, okay, like that would be great. My great grandfather played for Syracuse. I said, you know, that would be a great story. And so they offered me a, a half scholarship to go and play, uh, you know, play long snapper at, at the University of Rhode Island. And then when I went up there for my visit, I was able to talk to uh, some of the basketball coaches that were there too. And they said, well, you're good enough too to play play basketball here as a walk-on. And so, you know, we would have no problem with you playing both sports. And then, you know, I, I had talked to some other schools and they were like, well, we can just come be a walk-on for one of them or, you know, something like that. And I thought, well, if I can go play both sports at a, division one school that would that sounds you know amazing and sounds great so that's why i decided to go and play there yeah and and you got in the in the game a couple times i saw uh i was checking your your basketball stats so you you had you had three minutes of game action but i mean no points like where were you was was there not an a conscious effort to get to get points or how did like how did that go down well you know so to be honest they, they were i was the last guy off the bench island and that was fine. And I was I was a practice player, and I was meant to make, you know, the Karan Iversons and the Hassan Martins of the world better. And, you know, just to be in there and, and bang around in the post and just make sure that they were getting the best look that they can to, you know, go up and play VCU or go and play Dayton. And I was fine with it. I was fine with, you know, being a practice player and, and you know, traveling to the games and making sure everyone was ready to play and, and play for those games and, you know, just doing what a walk-on does for a basketball team. And that to me was, you know, one of the most rewarding seasons of my life was getting to understand how, uh, how these guys worked and how, you know, you, you really progress as a basketball team. And there was, you know, and and we, I had some of my best friends from, you know, that I still have to this day came from that basketball team. And it's, it was, uh, it was a pleasure to play with them. It was a pleasure to be a part of that program. Yeah, no, that that's awesome, definitely. Uh, so, so then, what made that change? Like, what made you decide? You know, maybe I need to uh, head down to West Virginia. I see that your dad was or is the coach, mm-hmm. the volleyball coach. So, did that have anything to play into your move down to West Virginia? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to say that you know it wasn't a it wasn't a factor. It was you know I wanted to be closer to my dad. You know, my parents got divorced when I was a fourth grader, so. You know, being close to my dad was always something that I wanted to do, but it was it was something that you know, going into my sophomore year, my brother had, you know, my brother was having a great basketball season, and you know, I was, I was kind of kicking myself for, for not being able to be there, and not being able to see him play, and you know, he was he was all state that year as a sophomore, and it was something that really doesn't happen in the state of Ohio for you to be an all state player as a sophomore. And I was like, well, you know, being nine hours away from Cleveland is really far away. And I, I don't get to see my mom as much as I would want to. I don't get to see my grandparents. I don't get to see my mom and my sister. And so that was kind of the thing that led me to, to transfer. You know, there were there were some schools that I was looking at. So when I when I told, you know, 
the guys at Rhode Island that I was going to transfer, it was, you know, it was hard. And it was hard because, you know, I had started as started as the long snapper and I was part of the basketball team. And it was, you know, I had my friends there and everything else. But the more I looked at it, the more it was, you know, kind of coming to light that I should come closer to home. That was that was pretty much the main reason of it, because I would be able I, you know, West Virginia is only three hours away from Cleveland. So I could be there. I could, you know, I could come up on a Thursday if my brother was playing and then be back for, you know, drive up and come back and, and it, no one would know I was gone. And that was, that was the main reason that I, I transferred just to, you know, just to be close to everyone and be close to my family. Yeah. And, and over time you developed into, uh, by, by last season, you were the main long snapper for West Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm seeing something here. I don't know if you can describe this for me. So it says West Virginia special teams champion Youngstown state. So what, what, what is that? What is a special teams champion? So I, I was, you know, gracious enough to be able to be a, a named the special teams player of the game is what that was okay okay so and that was you know that game in particular was probably the best game that you know i had played in one of the most you know memorable moments that i had had playing football as well you know because you take into account my uncles played at youngstown state and youngstown state's in ohio they didn't recruit me out of high school you know, my, all my best friends from high school were there. My mom, my sister, my brother, my, you know, my grandparents were there. And it was a game, you know, it was in the pouring rain and, you know, every snap was perfect. And it was, you know, just by the grace of God that I was able to perform that well. And, you know, I put up so much time and so much sweat and so many tears into that, into football to have that all come to fruition during that game was something that I'll never forget. And, you know, looking up into the stands and seeing my high school best friends, you know, cheering and just going absolutely nuts when we would score a touchdown rather than running out of the field and snap an extra point, you know, see my mom, you know, after we had won, see my mom crying after, you know, we were singing country roads running over because she knew how much I put into all this. It was something that I'll never, ever forget. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, Coming into this last season, you were semi semifinalist for the Patrick Manley Award, which is mm-hmm. uh, the nation's top long snapper. So you're right up there at this point with some of the best long snappers in the country. So now that we're going into this process, I mean, like you mentioned before, the long snapper position, there's only really 32 spots in the NFL at that position. So what is your what is your pitch? What are you telling teams that or or when you're putting out tape what are you saying you know this is why i'm different this is what you're going to get from me if uh you know i you you have me on your team so you know the reason i think i set myself apart is because i'm not just a long snapper i view myself as an athlete i view myself as a football player you know i never handicapped myself into one position to you know that made it that made me you know what I am. I was not, I was not just a long snapper in high school. I wasn't just a, you know, a receiver or a strong safety. I was, I was a football player. I played both sides of the ball. I did all that. When I got to Rhode Island, it was the same way. I wasn't just a football player. I wasn't just a long snapper. I was a long snapper. I played receiver. I played basketball. It was, it's never, it's not just something that, you know, you, you try to, I, I don't want to try and handicap myself to, to where teams think, oh, this guy can only roll a ball between his legs and, you know, get in front of people. I want teams to understand that 
I can help them in any way, shape, or form that they ask me. If it's it's covering kicks, if it's being on hands team, if it's blocking extra points, whatever. I think I'm an athlete, and I'm not just a long snapper. I wanna I'm a football player, and I, I just want to help the team in whatever way I can. Yeah, no, I definitely. I mean, it's it's one of those things that because, like you said, you're you you played different positions in high school and played basketball. You you offer a lot more than than uh, than just that long snapper position. But mm-hmm. let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Rex the person. So right, obviously, you know, you're not working out twenty four seven, maybe close to it. But when <laughs> you when you take a break, what are what are some things that you like to do in your spare time? So, you know, now with it being quarantine, I find myself with a lot of spare time. You know, whether it's, you know, we wake up in the morning and my brother and I, because my brother plays uh, brother plays Division two basketball, so me and him are kind of trying to, you know, push each other and make each other better. So, you know, we go work out for two hours a day and then we come home, we find ourselves figuring out what to do. But, you know, I love, you know, being in the outdoors. My grandpa taught me how to fish and how to hunt at a very, very young age. And, you know, I got a, I got a dog last year. So training my dog and, you know, how to, how to make him to be the best that he can be too. So that, that takes a lot, you know, just, you know, normal, normal stuff though, playing video games, listening to music, being with my friends is, you know, not as much now, you know, with everything, but being with them and just being with the people that, you know, make me happy is, is, is the things that are the best to me. You know, what, being outdoors, everything. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your what's your go to video game? What are you What are you putting in? Ooh, so right now, right now, it's been a lot of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Yep. You okay. Know, with, that, with that coming out, because I play with a lot of guys that are uh, with you know that I know from Morgantown and everything. So we'll get on and we'll we'll run a bunch of bunch of times and just play for hours on end and. I love 2K, 2K19, that's the NBA basketball game. I'll play that with my brother all the time. My brother thinks he's better than me, but he's not. So <laughs> it's that's one of the things that you know we get into, get into arguments about. But it's 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 there's a lot of fun. And it's great just having everyone at home too, which has been a you know really great thing because we haven't all been together since I went to college. So having everyone here, you know, we get on each other's nerves like a little bit, but it's all it's overall it's been a great time. So you you said you mentioned your brother plays Division two basketball. Uh, RJ, RJ. RJ. So you you mentioned that he plays Division two basketball. You say mm-hmm. you're the better two K player, but I'm assuming like I've got two brothers. I know how it works. Uh, you guys are playing some sort of pickup one on one basketball. Um, Correct. So so who who wins the majority of those games? I have never lost a game in the driveway. Interesting. Undefeated yeah. in the driveway. Undefeated in the driveway. He'll. He'll tell you different, but I have never lost in the driveway. He may have beat me in a game of horse or something like that, but I have never lost a game of twenty-one in the driveway, and that is a fact. That's, I mean, that's something. <laughs> that's something you got to add to the resume too when you're telling oh, things like undefeated driveway, like Sunahara, Sunahara driveway champion. I think sounds really good. Um, oh, agree. When, when you're when you're talking <laughs> to teams. Uh, so a few more questions here, then we'll let you go. So you mentioned you're listening to music. Obviously, uh, I'm assuming you got to have that hype playlist. So give me a couple Correct. artists that uh, that are on that hype playlist for you before you go out to play. So I have like all my best friends from high school. We all listen to like EDM, and so like we got Galantis, uh, Calvin Harris, 
Uh, who else we got on there? Um. Oh man, hold on. Let me, let me pull up my playlist right now. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got. So we got Galantis, Calvin Harris. We got. Um. Oh man. Oh yeah, we got Kaigo on there. Steve Aoki. Uh, Matoma. You know, just some of the, some of the guys like that for uh, EDM. But then, you know, being from Cleveland, love Bone Thugs and Harmony. You know, people like that. Actually, my one of my really good friends from, from college. He's actually a photographer and videographer for Bone Thugs and Harmony. DJ Harvey. He's uh, you know, so we actually got to go to a Bone Thugs and Harmony concert last year and stay in backstage and you know meet Lazy and Crazy and all of them. And it was that was one of the that was one of the best concerts I've ever been to in my life. So that was crazy, but. You know, just a different, just a mixture of rap and EDM and, you know, some, I got Metallica on there, some uh, ACDC, Motley Crue, just different stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, okay. So you got got a little bit of everything. Is there one song yeah. that you have to, like, you have to hear one time before you, before you get out there or is it just on shuffle and, and you let it go? Oh, no, I have to, the, the song that I have to listen to is Call On Me by Eric Perez. It's... In my opinion, the I mean, whatever it is, whether you're lifting, you know, you're hanging out with your friends, you're getting ready to play Texas in front of 102,000 people, doesn't matter. You got to have that song on before you play. Awesome. Uh, well, I think I think that's gonna do it for us here. Thank you so much, Rex, for coming on. We appreciate you taking the time uh, to to give us a little interview. And of course, man. thanks for having me on. Yeah, we'll be rooting for you as you go through this process and and following you. Hoping you get that roster spot. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. Now, on the back half of the show, I've got a nice three-pack of five for you. So we're going to talk about five guys I really like. Or technically, it's a four-pack, actually. Five guys I really like in this upcoming draft. Five guys I don't like. Five superlatives or awards. I don't really know what exactly we're going to call it. I'll probably figure it out as we move along. And then five realistic trades that could happen in round one in the NFL draft. And that's where we're going to start. But before we do that, we got to talk about Audible. So you already know, audibletrial.com slash podcast to get a free audiobook. It's super easy way to get started. Maybe you want to listen to more audiobooks. Uh, you've run out of podcasts. Um, so you, you want to start there. You can you can try it out, see if you like it. Um, tons, any, any, any sort of any sort of genre you can think of, any variety of books, you know, sports, self-help, action, adventure, whatever you prefer, Audible's probably got a title that that matches that selection. So head on down to audibletrial.com slash podcast and get started today. All right, so here we go. Five realistic trades to happen in the first round of the NFL draft. Now, this first one right off the bat is one that's been predicted pretty heavily uh, Basically, since this season ended, um, the the Miami Dolphins, it's no surprise that they're in the market for a quarterback. Obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick can't be the guy forever, and Josh Rosen doesn't really seem like he's done enough to solidify himself as a guy worth investing in, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so the Dolphins have to look towards the draft. So there are two teams that are, obviously the Bengals are taking Joe Burrow, but there are two teams that are desperate for that QB2 and having an option at QB2. It's the Dolphins and the Chargers. Uh, obviously, the Chargers lost Phillip Rivers in the offseason, and they're going with Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor for the time being, but I don't know if he's going to be that long-term answer they want. 
So in this scenario, the Dolphins get their guy, uh, which is Tua Tungavailoa, and they have to give up their fifth fifth overall pick and their 26th overall pick. So two first-rounders in exchange uh, for that number three spot from the Detroit Lions. And, I mean, this is a fantastic move for the Lions, getting two picks in the first round um, and being able to get a guy who I, I have them taking Jeff Okuda, uh, which they they would have been able to get at three or five. So adding another first rounder, getting some more depth, absolutely fantastic move. And the Dolphins have six picks in the top 100, so they can afford to give up this sort of capital um, and still uh, still be okay. Obviously, even next year, I think they've got six in the top 100, so they're going to be set for quite a bit um, at this point. And for the Lions, obviously, you know, they're Matt Patricia's going into a year where he ha- he needs to answer some questions or he's going to be gone. So this is a perfect move for both teams, and the Dolphins can move up and get Tua. Now trade number two is the Buccaneers trading up, swapping uh, the ninth pick um, from the t- from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and also getting rid of their second overall second round pick, the forty five and one ninety four, which is a six rounder for that Buccaneers uh, to get to move up to that nine spot. So for the Jags, it makes sense because obviously you're adding draft capital. Um, no one you really love here. I think the guy that, that people have been targeting, if, if they don't go offensive tackle or wide receiver, the guy that, that's been most popular for them is Derek Brown. And that's another situation where they can add cap, they can add capital and still get their guy in Derek Brown at 14 because I believe he'll be available. Now, obviously, we've talked about it before. The Buccaneers have backed themselves into a corner uh, as far as flexibility with with their moves in this offseason. I mean, everything needs to be geared towards winning that Super Bowl, and they have about two years to do it. So moving up to this nine spot gives them one of the big four uh, of that offensive tackle group, and they'll be able to make a move and and get one of those guys because I honestly believe past the Jets at 11, there's not going to be an offensive tackle of that that top-tier quality that they're wanting. So at nine, it probably gives them two, two or three maybe off the board, uh, but it gives them a lot of flexibility uh, and allows them to pick, you know, at least one one of their guys out of that four to secure Tom Brady's left side um, in Tampa Bay down there. Now trade number three is the Jets. So this is another, this is a, the same same idea here. The Jets are are really going to be left with the scraps or whatever's left from that offensive tackle group. But in this trade here, they move up and will probably get their pick of, of that group of four. So in this pick, the uh, Panthers move back four spots and and they get um, a third, they get the Jets 11, and then they also get a later round pick of five or six round. I mean, it depends on, depends on what you're really feeling. Um, and then the Jets will move up to that three spot. So the Panthers, the same situation. I think they could get, they could go offensive tackle here Um the way I've got it laid out, obviously, to give just a couple pieces away here, um, I've got the Giants taking Isaiah Simmons at that four spot, which the Panthers really will be targeting. So if he's gone and they're not in love with Derek Brown, um, that's a great situation to slide back. And for them, they could take him at 11. They could go Javon Kinlaw. They could go receiver. Um, or maybe if an off- offensive tackle does fall to 11, they add a couple of, of depth uh, pieces in this draft and are still able to get an offensive tackle uh, on that offensive line. This trade, I, I think the Jets would love this move. I don't know if the Panthers are going to be ready to trade back. 
And I think if they do, I think the Panthers and Bucks could also trade, um, and the, the Panthers would get a lot more, uh, a lot more value from the Bucks, especially if they're having to give up. They'd be moving back three more spots, um, and for for the the Buccaneers, they get up to seven. So at this point, uh, I, I like. I'm I'm not sold on this move. I think if you know, for prediction's sake, this is an idea that could happen. I think the Jets are talking to teams and trying to make sure that they get their pick of that tackle group. Um, trade number four is the Steelers. So the Steelers don't have a first-round pick. They got Minka Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins, uh, which turned out to be the 19th pick. Um, they tra- exchanged him for their first-rounder, which turned out to be the 19th pick in the draft. But they move back into the first round here. They get the 49ers 31st in exchange for the 49th overall, so second rounder, 102, which is in the third, and 124 in the fourth. So for the 49ers, this makes sense because they actually don't have any picks in the two through four rounds, and now they get one in each. Um, you know, They're really looking for a, a lot more depth pieces. Obviously, they traded for D Ford last year, so they had to give up a couple pieces. I think it was a second and third rounder is what he went for. So they were lacking uh, picks at all in those middle rounds. So this answers those questions. They move 18 spots back. Um, and for the Steelers, this one's going to be a surprise. But I think at 31, if this trade happens, they move up and they are going to select Jalen Hurts. So something I think we've talked about before, just the amount of times that quarterbacks, especially mobile quarterbacks in today's NFL, can be moved up in the draft just by being talked about, what they're capable of and what we've seen Jalen Hurts do. Um Kyler Murray did it. Lamar Jackson did it. I mean, you know, just over time, you, you like the idea of a mobile quarterback, especially uh, if they've got some arm talent. And I think Jalen Hurts gives the Steelers a high-end quality backup. They could learn. They could really, they'd have to mold a whole new offense because obviously Ben Roethlisberger and Jalen Hurts are two different styles of guys. But you can't really rely on Mason Rudolph, especially if Ben Roethlisberger isn't 100%. So I really like this move. They've got a lot of pieces. Obviously, they gave up some depth. But they do have a fourth rounder um, still, so they're not completely out of those middle rounds. But I mean, you got to make a move to get a quarterback. I don't know at this point if if he'll be available at at that number forty nine spot. So I think it's a great move by the Steelers, and that's that's just one of my predictions here, getting them into the back of the first round. Uh, but it's mainly because I think the 49ers need some middle round picks. So it was trying to figure out what team has the best chance of of moving up and giving them the quantity of picks that they want. And the final trade is uh, not now it doesn't involve just picks. There's a player involved. So the Dolphins will trade for disgruntled uh, Jacksonville Jaguars star edge rusher Yannick Ngakwe. And the Jaguars get a first, the 19th pick, which, like we said, went for Minka Fitzpatrick, a third, 70th, 70 overall, um, and 185 overall, which is a six round pick. So this is an absolute steal for the Dolphins. Obviously, they have, like I said, they have six round, six picks in the top 100 right now, as of right now. Um, but things change all the time. Obviously, uh, ideas shift around. Maybe you know you're always taking a risk when it comes to to drafting players. And why not trade in a couple of those depth pieces for sure thing in Ngakwe? Obviously, one of the best young stars. Uh, he's he's under contract, I think, for 17 million. Just signed a franchise tag, and he wants out of Jacksonville. There's actually a really good chance that he goes for even less value than this. I mean, if if all everything was perfect and he didn't uh, wasn't vocal about how much he disliked Jacksonville, I think there's a really good chance he goes for two first round picks. So the Dolphins are getting an absolute steal here. Uh, they can add him to their already 
well-built offense. I mean, they signed Kyle Van Noy. They added Byron Jones. These are a couple big weapon pieces that they've added uh, and getting Gakwe for, I mean, not a lot when you consider what he's able to bring to the table. Uh, Obviously, they've got the salary cap for it. They can move some guys around if necessary, but I really love this move for the Dolphins, um, and I think it's a great landing spot for Ngakwe, and all of a sudden, the Dolphins have a really solid defense when you look at it all the way built. Uh, So those are my five trades I think could happen involving the first-round picks. Now let's move on to our five superlatives or wards or or whatever. So I've come up with five different names for, I mean, I still don't even know what to call it. Uh, Let's just call it awards. Uh, Five different awards that I guess we're going to make a yearly thing. I think this is a good idea, obviously building some consistency. Um, So the first one is Bet the House, guy who's a lock for the Hall of Fame, um, probably going to be a top 10 pick and should be for very good reason. Um, the next award is, I'm still deciding on the name. It's either Confusing Construction Award or the New York Apartment Award. So this is a guy who's got a high floor, uh, very uh, a plug-and-play guy ready to go, but a very low ceiling. You know, you're not going to get much more out of him uh, just from, from the physical traits. But he's a, a hard worker and he's a guy that can put, put in the time right away. Then the converse of that, obviously, we've got the Mansion Award. So the lowest floor, but the highest ceiling. A guy that will be picked largely because of what he's capable of, either his traits or his attributes, but needs a lot more polishing. But if if everything goes as expected, could be one of the best guys uh, in the draft. And then we've got the Utility Knife Award, guy who's able to do just a lot of things um, and is going to be very versatile in his role in the NFL. Um, and then the fifth, the fifth one, I don't really know what to call this one. I was trying to come up with some creative names, but basically a guy who, who was hurt by, by something. He was a really solid player, but he was hurt by either the combine or the tape or just something, something like that. Um, but it's still a really solid player. So let's start off. This one's going to be not as, as exciting. Um, our, our bet the house award goes to chase young. Now, 6'5", 265 pounds. I mean, this guy, what more What more do you really want from him? What he was able to do, just his sheer dominance on the defensive line last year at Ohio State, uh, proved why he is the best prospect in this year's draft and will continue to be as he moves on to the next level. Obviously, um, right now, I've got him going to the Redskins. I think that's a great spot for him to be at uh, as, as he grows, especially around all those guys, you know, Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, but just guys that are, are high-level players and are able to um, elevate his play. I mean, everyone's going to be helped by Chase Young with that defensive front seven and really could be one of the best front sevens in the NFL if everything's played right. And our next award, the Confusing Construction or New York Apartment, goes to Xavier McKinney. So Xavier McKinney out of Alabama um, just a, a classic Nick Saban guy, a hard worker. I mean, he tested decently well. He ran a, a 4640, 36, uh, 36 inch vertical, vertical jump, 122 inch broad jump. Um, a decent athlete, but very smart. Uh, a guy that will plug and play right away um, and, and contribute at a high level. But, you know, there's, there's certain things that you just you can't teach, um, they just have to happen naturally. You know, speed, athleticism. And he's going to reach a certain a certain level where you know and he just can't go anymore. So, but not a knock on him. Obviously, a really talented player and should go in the first round. 
Uh, next up is our Mansion Award. This one should be, if you've been following a lot of NFL draft, uh, this one should be an obvious one, and that's Mekhi Becton. So Mekhi Becton out of Louisville, 6'7", 360 pounds. I mean, an absolute beast. Uh, he's posted videos this offseason of him pulling a truck um, and the measurables, what he ran, uh, a 5'1 at the 40 for 360 pounds is just absolutely insane. Some crazy athleticism out of that out of that tackle position. Um, but he's very unpolished. You look at the tape, and there's a lot of things he struggles with, whether it's footwork or or, or hands or, or something else like that. There's every, almost everything needs work. The only thing that doesn't need work is his size and speed, which is you know obviously things that, that um, you can't change drastically. So he's got a huge, huge, massive ceiling, um, and some team is obviously going to have to put in the work, but if they do... He's going to be a legit star in this league and a cornerstone franchise left tackle for whoever picks him. Uh, next up, our utility knife award. That goes to Antonio Gibson. So Antonio Gibson, well, first off, came out of Memphis, and Memphis has produced a lot of really solid athletes, especially in the last few years, last few drafts. Tony Pollard, backup running back for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, showed flashes last year of what he's able to do. Daryl Henderson may be, now that Todd Gurley's gone, the guy in L.A., so we'll be able to see him in a bigger role. They just keep cranking out these guys, and Antonio Gibson's no different. So he actually started uh, at wide receiver for most of the season, and he did a pretty good job, but when they put him in at running back, uh, he's averaged 11 yards a carry. He had four touchdowns, 300, 370 yards. Uh, you, I mean, you combine all these touches here, he had about in total uh, a little over 60 touches, and 12 touchdowns. So basically, every fifth time he's touching the ball, it's in the end zone, which is crazy. Uh, that's the type of production you love to see um, out of out of an athlete, uh, a, a skill position player. Here, um, he can play running back or wide receiver. I think he should play running back. I think what what he'd be able to do, especially you know, put him out there and, as a pass catcher, third down back to start. But I mean, he he can plug and play anywhere. Kick returner, he can play uh, punt returner, play coverage, play special teams. Um, just an all-around athlete and a really solid, uh, a really solid player. Um, and then the final guy, uh, a guy that kind of got overlooked because of of something, uh, and that's AJ Terrell. And that something is getting burned by the best wide receiver in college uh, on the biggest stage in in college at the national championship. Uh, J- uh, Jamar Chase made a living, uh, well, obviously, you know, not not an actual wage, but um, of burning really good cornerbacks this past season, um, and AJ Terrell was no different. I mean, you look at his measurables. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, he ran a 4440, uh, vertical jump, 35 inches. I mean, this guy, everything, everything up to that point. I mean, you look at at the the season too. What what he was able to do. He was checking boxes left and right. And for the first six minutes, he looked like he was going to shut down Jamar Chase. Something that really nobody had done the entire season. But obviously, things don't go according to plan at that point. But you just look at, at what he's able to do, and right now, he's he, I think he's a mid-second, late second um, at this point in a lot of people's big boards, but he's going to make some team very happy because he'll be able to get in right away and play. You coach him up more, um, you know, maybe right, he's not going to go go be like a Jalen Ramsey, lockdown, a lockdown corner, Richard Sherman, Darrell Rivas, but he's going to be a top-end cornerback for a lot of years, it seems like, in the league. And it's going to be a steal. I mean, you're, you're hearing it now. Uh, whoever gets him in that second or third round is going to be very happy for many years to come. All right, now let's move on here to 
first five guys I really like in the draft. They may not be necessarily first-round picks, but they're guys, like I said, Antonio Gibson, A.J. Terrell, guys that are going to make teams very happy. Um, and some could be some could be first-round talent. But for, for the sake of this, I'm not going to mention Antonio Gibson and A.J. Terrell again. You know how I feel about those guys. Uh, but let's keep moving here and get into this top five guys I like. And this list is in no particular order, but here we go. We'll just start it off with number five, Denzel Mims. So coming out of, actually, I think it was the Senior Bowl was the first time uh, Denzel Mims started to get a lot of love. I mean, just what he was able to do, separation, make catches, a crazy catch radius, kind of pushed me to look into him a little further. And everything you see is just, you just like him more and more. Um, he's, I think at the beginning, you know, after the Senior Bowl, he was like a mid-round, mid-second round guy. But he's slowly been creeping up boards, and now he's at a point where he could go in the 20s in the first round. Um, I hope he doesn't because I want the Colts to take him at, at 34, but there's a lot to love about that guy. Uh, you put him in as a complimentary receiver, and he can make some moves right away in his first season. I mean, let's just keep it going with, with wide receivers. We talked about him on the show last week, Michael Pittman uh, at a USC wide receiver. He's another guy that was a, a mid-third-round guy kind of hovering and now he's been talked up because you look at the tape, you see, well, he did play with three different quarterbacks last year. And then you see the catches he makes. And I mean, he, he was fantastic at this point. Um, there's not, there's not a ton to, to dislike about him. Obviously he's got, he's got a pedigree, just the way he carries himself. Uh, you just watch interviews, you see the tape. He's a, he's a pro's pro at this point. Um, and I think he's going to make just like Denzel Mims, a team extremely happy, whoever takes him. Uh, and it could be, it could be mid second round, but you know, who knows? He may get talked up all the way to early, early two. Uh, number three is a guy we've had on the podcast before Kyle Duggar. Um, and it's not just cause we've had him on the podcast, obviously a really great guy, a good conversation, but you look at the way he performed at the combine. I mean, he tested better than every defensive back at, at, all the measurables, you know, you, you look at, you look at, um, vertical, vertical leap His 40 dash 40 yard dash time was up there. Um, his arms, his wingspan, his hands, just a, a physical prospect. I mean, you, you put that into play and you can, you have the opportunity to shape and mold and, and figure out, you know, what kind of player he truly can be. I mean, that's a, that's a developmental coach's dream right there. He's been sliding, unfortunately, it seems like, because he was, when we talked to him, you know, late first-round guy. Now he's mid to early three. But, um, I mean, obviously the traits are there. He's, he's a very physical player, um, and he can do everything. He can play special teams if he needs to. He can return punts, uh, return kicks. So a great a great prospect and someone who could develop into uh, quite quite the player as we move on, you know, later into, into his career. Uh, the fourth is Adam Troutman. Uh, tight end out of Dayton, another small school guy. Um, you watch his route running. He's he's just a fantastic pass catcher. I mean, he's got great size at the tight end position. Obviously not what you'd want as a blocker, but then again, none of them really are in this class, but very crisp route runner, great hands, um, and I, I think you, you put him in a, in a good system with a quarterback who, who can utilize the tight end uh, in the receiving field well, and he's going to he's going to blossom into a really solid player. Um, and finally, fifth, uh, last but not least, we've got Zach Moss running back out of Utah. I mean, just a physical runner. He's projected about a third round guy, but he can plug and play. 
uh, pretty much right away. Just what he's able to do um, once he's on the field, create, uh, just open up the open up yardage, yards after contact. I mean, he he's everything you want out of the, a hard nosed physical runner. Um, I think part of what's been ailing him or, or hurting his draft stock is those injury questions. Um, but his agent has said that that everything's going to be okay. He's he's been cleared. Um, so hopefully that that removes any of those concerns he has. Um, but yeah, that's the list here. Five guys I like. Let's move into five guys I don't like. Um, not going to say that they're busts, but I'm just going to say that there is uh, some question marks that I feel like they haven't answered yet, um, especially as we move into what is now, you know, we're just a week and a half away from the draft. So first is a guy that my opinion has definitely changed on him. Uh, the further we get away from the season, when you really put it into perspective, uh, what, what he accomplished. I mean, obviously a very talented player as uh, Grant Delpit, safety at LSU, struggled with tackling. Um, you look at two years ago, his tape, and it's it's amazing. You know, you think about what kind of player he could be, um, just the special raw talent flying all over the field. But this year, there was a big question mark about how much he really wanted it. Um, and he didn't really do much to to stand out as we as we moved further and further through this whole draft process. And now he's kind of he's kind of stuck. I mean, he was a guy that was projected mid first round and is, is sliding. You know, he's going he's mid two, I think, at this point. And I think for good reason. Um, obviously, I, I'm not going to know uh, what went on in those interviews with with the coaches and that sort of thing. But I mean, you, you got to trust that, that they know what they're doing. And, and there's a reason why he's he's sliding down. And it could be could be character questions. I mean, whatever the case this is a perfect guy you take a chance on in the back end of the second round. Um, but to put him in the first round now is you're, you're setting yourself up for failure at this point. Um, another guy I don't like is a guy who's actually been rising quite a bit. And that's Ezra Cleveland, the offensive tackle out of Boise State. Um I mean, you, you think about it, obviously you want to pick guys for upside, and Ezra Cleveland has upside, but this isn't Makai Becton level upside we're talking about here, and, and scouts are saying, you know, this guy could go at the back end of the first round, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you're talking, you, you look at even guys that are available, would be available still, Austin Jackson, Josh Jones, two really talented offensive tackles, but if they're not there, um, I mean, do you take a chance on Ezra Cleveland in the back end? I don't know. It's it seems too too much of a risk that high up. So that's why I don't like him. I don't necessarily uh, dislike him as a player or a, a prospect. But and same thing last year when the when the Texans took Titus Howard, um, raised a lot of questions and and for good reason. Number three is Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is a guy I've flip flopped back and forth on for for quite a bit. I mean, you look at his product production out of Wisconsin, a uh, really good player. Um, you know, fumbles were a concern and obviously the amount of volume uh, that he, he put in at that running back position for, for the Wisconsin Badgers. How does it translate? I don't know. How, how, many, how many more miles are left on the tires? Um, I'd love to see him go to a team like the Tennessee Titans, you know, back into the first round and, and be that Derrick Henry for them that gives them the option to let Derrick Henry walk next year because obviously they can't pay him. Um, you know, to a long-term extension, that's just not a good idea for running backs, as we've seen um, time and time again, it, it feels like. So Jonathan Taylor, a lot of questions. Um, I mean, if the Titans go there, it could be interesting, but I, there's there's not a lot of, um, there's not a whole lot of upside right now to get a running back in the first round at all, um, much less a guy who who put together some pretty heavy carry seasons out at Wisconsin. 
Next guy is CJ Henderson. He's been, uh, I've been hard pressed to find uh, uh, an analyst or a or a, um, a scout that doesn't like CJ Henderson. Um, and I, I'm just worried they're banking too much on upside. I mean, he's a guy that's been talked up for the last few years. Um, but at the cornerback position, it's increasingly difficult to, if you don't have that knowledge and that that technique down and, and you're banking on athleticism, you could get burned. Because this is, a, especially if you're playing man, uh, we've seen a lot of good corners uh, as far as, as projects go fall by the wayside because they just can't handle, their their mind hasn't caught up to it yet. And I mean, I guess that's what I'm worried about with CJ Henderson. Um, I think a lot of people have him as a mid first rounder, even a surprise top 10 guy which I don't, I don't know. The cornerback class outside of Jeff Okuda, um, as far as first-round prospects go, there's a lot of question marks. I mean, obviously, I mentioned A.J. Terrell, but uh, you know, there's Jeff Gladney, Christian Fulton. Are those guys worth the first-round pick? I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't like any of them particularly in round one. You know, round two for sure, but I think there's about four that are projected to go in the first round, and it seems like at least half, you know, obviously uh, not including Jeff Okuda, at least half of those guys, if not more, may turn out to be busts. But CJ Henderson's the top of the list, so I just had to pick him there. Um, and the last guy is AJ Epinesa, an edge rusher out of Iowa State, or not Iowa State, just Iowa. Um, didn't test well at the combine. A lot of questions about where he can really play. I mean, is he going to be an interior defenseman? Because he's lacking the size, but he also lacks the speed to be an edge rusher. There's so many questions here. Talent is there. I mean, when you put him on the field, he gets it done. But obviously, going, it's not going to be, uh, you know, big, big ten, big ten offenses that he's he's getting after the quarterback on. This is the NFL. So AJ Epinesa, big question mark. I think a team like, I think the Seahawks or the Patriots um, in that back end of the first round could really use a guy like him. But there's also a really good chance that that he just fizzles out because of lack of position. I mean, you think about it. A guy like uh, Isaiah Simmons, he's a great example of this, but it's because he's such an athlete. He's so versatile. Uh, AJ Epinesa, it's almost like the opposite. He uh, he just doesn't have enough at each at each position to really feel like a good a good prospect at that one spot. Uh, but that's gonna do it all for the, for this week. Next week is going to be our mock draft episode, my one and only uh, that I do here on the podcast. Um, and then after that, I mean, who knows? We've got a lot of player interviews coming up. Get some analysts back on here, some guys you've heard before. Um, and, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll keep churning out content at this point. Let us know if you want to, if you want us to review more Netflix series. If there's more, uh, give us a review on, on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars and then tell us what you want to see. Because uh, we want to keep providing entertainment even during these times. But thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next week.